Are you one of the holiday? Are you one of the like midnight shoppers? That's so crazy. That, I mean, if you do that, that's, that's great because you probably got some great bargains. You know, you'd like a flat screen for 20 bucks or something like that. I, I would love to be a part of that, but I just can't do it. It's so much easier just to sit and shop online or whatever, you know. I, but I, I admire you and respect you for that. I hope that's uh, something you're kind of getting knocked out. I'm the world's worst shopper. I'm just not real good at that. So I don't participate, and I know, but I know that's part of it, and I know we always talk about that, but there's something kind of fun about it, and it's kind of a cool tradition, uh, and it's part of that preparation, right? Most of us have heard of Billy Graham. Uh, I've never got an opportunity to meet him. I was in a room with him once, and got kind of close to him, and it was just a cool thing. I had the opportunity to be part of a counselor at a crusade in Memphis one year, and saw a little bit of what goes on behind the scenes. Billy Graham has con- had these crusades literally all over the world, just hundreds of those uh, in every place imaginable, these evangelistic crusades. You've probably seen him preach on television. When I was a little boy, um, I went to a church on a Wednesday night and actually heard a Billy Graham message, and it was probably the clearest, best presentation of the gospel that I had ever heard, and that was the night I prayed to receive Christ. Uh, It just made sense. He had such uh, an anointing uh, on his life. Um, You've seen uh, when thousands, I think they actually had a crusade here in Knoxville, uh, probably at the stadium. We did it at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, and it's absolutely amazing when all these people go forward at the end. It's just like thousands of people start um, moving during that, uh, that time of of invitation during during those moments. Uh, what I found out is that they realize those crusades would never happen without a tremendous amount of preparation ahead of time. They have a whole team of people uh, who work literally years ahead when they will choose a city and say, we're going to like to Knoxville or to another place and Then they send representatives in to begin to train counselors and to set up all the logistics of that. Just countless hours that go behind the scenes. Hundreds of prayer meetings that take place. All this happens because they know without preparation, it's not going to happen. Without preparation, the event will fail. We've learned that as pastors. We've learned that as individuals. You know it on your job. You know it in school. Without preparation, it's not going to happen. It's going to fail. Um, and, and, you know, the thing about that, where I'm headed, is that it's no different with Christmas. In order for the event of Christmas to really be successful, there's got to be some preparation. Now, some of us maybe have just kind of written off Christmas. And, and to be honest, I've just come right up to the brink of saying, you know what, I'm just done with it. I'm tired of the commercialization and the busyness, and I don't see a lot of purpose, and uh, for a while, I, I just, I'm always the, the one in the family is like, oh, do we have to put a tree up? And, you know, that's, that's, my family loves me because of my sentimentality. But, uh, you know, oh, what is that? And, oh, i got to go shopping. And it's not even December. My family was going shopping this weekend. They said, are you going to go? And I said, it's not even December. <laughs> it's not even in the 20s. It's, it's not even in the, you know, on the calendar. It's not December 20th. Why would I go shopping now? Why so far out ahead of time? People could change their minds so easily before we do that. So I like to, to move it right into that, that sweet spot, that moment of shopping where you know you're going to get the perfect thing, which I'm famous for. 
Um, that's what we do. And we kind of understand that part. Uh, but it may be something about Christmas that you, you just feel a distance. You try to get into it, but it could be, I know for some folks, there's old issues at work, right? There's family things, there's stuff there that, that makes that a little harder uh, to enjoy that. Uh, maybe you're just, you're like me, you're tired of all the, the buzz that surrounds it. Uh, maybe you're the kind of Christian that feels like, I don't get it. Why would we celebrate one day and make that a big deal? And everybody, you know how, at least in my family, you know, people get kind of sentimental about it and they're more open to spiritual things and you can talk about uh, Jesus and, and folks are more receptive. And you think, what is it about the holiday? Why couldn't you do that in March or in January or, you know, July? Uh, there's something about Christmas where we all kind of get just a little more tender-hearted about that. So we think, why such the big deal on, on December 25th? I want to I be that way every day. I want to worship Him every day. You know, I, I can identify with all of those feelings uh, and have felt each one of those at some place and at some time. But here's the thing. I'm not ready to give up on Christmas. Far from it. In fact, I'm, just, I'm not ready to give up on it because... I think that as, as creatures bound in, in time and space, we have this particular point in history where we live and where we experience our life. We need uh, some real uh, time and space markers. You know, we need these moments in our life that remind us of these great events that define our faith. And Christmas is one of those because... Uh, we look at one of the, the greatest things that ever happened in history was, was the advent, was, uh, was Jesus being born, God coming to us like a real person. That's huge. That was a game changer. That Everything, everything is different because of that. Of course, for us, the other significant holiday would be Easter, the resurrection of Christ, these, these bookends to this great event where God comes in and introduces himself to us in a fresh, beautiful, brand new way. Where we don't find him just in rooms like this anymore, in temples and in synagogues, but we find him in ourselves, in our lives, in our hearts. So here, you know, I believe that if Christmas is to be spiritually significant at all for you, if you're going to do more than just go through the motions, if this is going to be kind of a successful holiday, we're going to have to fight for it. And the way that we do that is through preparation. It's all about the preparation. It's everything that goes on ahead of time. I'm in a fantasy football league, and I started off pretty good. Right now I'm getting hammered uh, toward the end of the season. I'm just trying to hang on and kind of make it to the playoffs. And as I, I realize as the season goes on, the difference that it makes, it's all about that night of the draft. You know, it's when you draft your team, it's who you get, and it's, and it's how you prepare for that. It's all in the preparation, because once it's done, yeah, you can make some trades, and you can tweak some things, and you can pull people in and out, but you kind of got what you got. Now, the thing is, if you go right up until Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and you think, all right, I'm ready for Christmas, let's do Christmas, you know, and you're not prepared for it, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to seem almost anticlimactic. You're going to get up to that point and think, wow, this is, so this is it. It doesn't feel like as big a deal as we've tried to make it. You know, that's why we talk about this strange thing called Advent that Kevin mentioned in his comments a moment ago. It starts 
four weeks prior to Christmas. And Advent is really, it, it just means preparation. It means to get ready. And sometimes we forget that before God sent his son into the world, he gave that some thought. He prepared things. He saw to it that the way was clear and open. And God had been dropping things into place. It's absolutely amazing everything that had to come into sync for this to be able to happen in such a beautiful way when Jesus came. I mean, there are just impossibilities that became possible as God lined everything up. Jesus arrived on the scene after 400 years of silence from God. It was this time of preparation. And he arrived only after just numerous people were visited by this angel named Gabriel. God saw fit to prepare for his son in just this unusual way. He, he had a guy, you know, there's a John, a man named John, begin to call people toward repentance, begin to set the stage because God is into preparation. This morning, we're going to start a new series called Div- Divine Love. And I, I told this, the guys, I said, I just want to keep this, this, just the simplicity of it. And so I'm just using real short titles and real simple graphics because I, I don't want us to get lost or distracted by a lot of the things that already tug on us. But the focus is going to be all the preparation today that happened in the book of Luke. Luke documents things so well, I think better than anybody else. Uh, maybe because he was a physician, maybe because he knows you know, it took all this preparation for him to be who he was and, and, and all of this, but he is a prolific writer. In fact, a lot of people think Paul wrote most of the New Testament. It was actually Luke. When you look at the volume of things... Luke wrote more than anybody. And he's so precise, he's so accurate, uh, he's just a good go-to guy. If you want to know what the gospel's about, if you want to know what the Bible's about, read Luke and Acts. Luke tells us of his purpose, of why he wrote this in the very opening of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, in the first four verses. He says this, Inasmuch, I thought, you know, you're going to write these two books. You're going to write these huge things, and you start with the word, inasmuch. I just thought that was kind of cool. But uh, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Luke's purpose is that this man named Theophilus would know the exact truth about the things that he had been taught, specifically the truth about Jesus Christ. Theophilus, we don't know a lot about him. He was probably a converted Greek uh, like Luke was. Uh, He's a Gentile Christian. Uh, Luke probably had some things in common with him and seems to uh, have this uh, friendship with him. Uh, He had never seen, Luke himself had never seen Jesus do a lot of these things. It wasn't there. But he took accounts from all these people who were eyewitnesses. He investigated everything very, very carefully, and he laid it all out in this logical order. And it's kind of a two-volume 
set. Uh, volume one is this gospel that we're reading from today and over the next couple of weeks. And volume two is the book of Acts. In a day and age of best-selling books on lost gospels, if you go to Borders or Barnes & Noble or, or Amazon, there are all these books that have come out, particularly since several years ago. Remember the movie uh, The Da Vinci Code and how, oh, we've got this lost gospel that's better than all the others, why it's remained in obscurity all these years, you know, and, and these kind of, kind of crazy ideas. Uh, it's so good to have something that is as rock solid as this and somebody who did his homework. And that was Luke. That was Dr. Luke. He was meticulous uh, about his research. He was very well educated, and he got it right. He got it exactly right. So in keeping with his purpose, Luke carefully chronicles everything that happened before Christ was born. He kind of leads up to uh, this moment where Jesus comes into the world because it, he gets it that it's all about the preparation. So he doesn't just start here. He goes behind that, and that's what today's story is about. Now, let me just ask you as we kind of get going into this, are you prepared for Christmas? Are you getting ready for that? Not just, you know, have you got your travel plans made or you're getting your shopping started, but are you really preparing for the significance of the event itself? Are you just getting ready for the season, you know, for the, just for the holiday kind of a thing? Are we prepared for the arrival of God's Son? And we might wonder, well, how do you do I mean, I can remember when I first became a believer and started walking with the Lord, and I would try to get significance out of things that were religious that I hadn't related to at that level before. You ever do that? Even people who've been Christians for a long, long time, I think we get up to moments like communion or baptism or Easter or Good Friday or Christmas, and we think, wow, this is important, this is really big, and... It's supposed to mean something, and I'm going to try to make this real. And, you know, you just kind of try to get into the moment, and you want, how do, how do I do this? It's about the preparation. It's, it's not a mystical, kind of a weird thing. And Luke helps us out here. He helps us by telling the story of this old Jewish priest and his wife. We're introduced to this couple in verse 5 to 7 in Luke's gospel. It says this, in the days of Herod, king of uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were now advanced in years. Uh, we see that Zechariah is a priest, that's what he does. Elizabeth is a descendant of priests. And that's not at all unusual. The priesthood at this time was divided into 24 uh, divisions or sections in those days. And even though there are a couple million people around him, there are 18,000 priests. Most of them, they didn't do it every day. That wasn't like what you know, get up in the morning, put on your priest clothes, go down to the temple and start doing your deal. They were farmers. They were just ordinary folks within the community who also um, did this as well, ministered to people. They were oftentimes very poor. Uh, but given the times, this is kind of an unusual couple. Luke says they were righteous in God's sight. They kept the commandments, and, and not just on the outside, but it was important to them inside. They had this relationship with the Lord. doesn't mean that they were without sin, that they were perfect people by any means. And unlike other priests of the day sometimes, 
they were examples of real, genuine faith. They weren't just going through the motions. It's so easy when your religion and your culture are so intermeshed for it just to become part of what you do. You know, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. It doesn't, you don't feel like, wow, this is so important, this is so special. No, it's just kind of what you've done and you've done, and, and it gets kind of blurry. And we've known that, right? I know people like us who kind of get into the routine of, of church and, and all of the other things, and, and maybe it just starts feeling like, well, that's just what we do. That's just who we are. Somehow, Elizabeth and Zachariah were different in that they didn't lose how special it was to know God and to be in relationship with Him. It's even more, more significant because the other thing that Luke tells us about them is that they had no children. And he doesn't just throw that in, you know, just like, oh, here's a little detail about their life just so you can kind of get to know them. Elizabeth was barren, and in those days... Um, that was a big deal. And the hope of her having children, she's probably 60-plus, she's in her you know, early 60s. She's, the idea of having children, it's just, to her, it's, it's not going to happen. And why that's significant is because at that time, to, to be barren, to not have children, was thought to be a sign of some kind of a spiritual defect in the wife. It's like, they're, you know, her neighbors, her friends, her family would have said, you know, Liz has never had any kids. What's that about? It must be some... They connected it spiritually to where she was in her relationship with the Lord. They didn't have fertility specialists back then. They just simply believed, well, if God's closed up a woman's womb, there's something about her that we don't know. God's got a grudge against her, but it's a real purposeful thing. They connected that. So a barren woman was a disgraced woman, was an embarrassed woman. It wasn't uncommon even for a husband to divorce his wife just because of that. Just because you don't have children, well, I've got, I've got legit grounds to divorce you. It wasn't uncommon. And Zechariah didn't do that. He stayed with this woman that he loved. And Elizabeth, uh, in essence then, is sort of forced to walk around her whole life with this invisible sign around her neck that reads, I'm a sinner. You know, she knew the talk. She knew how people connected that. And I think, wow, you think you don't want to go to church sometimes? You think, oh, everybody knows this or that. And you, and you feel kind of awkward. I know when I, especially when I first began uh, attending worship, I looked a little different from this little church where I went. I was kind of like the freak in the room. And I could feel the looks. And I knew some of the stuff. And sometimes people would ask questions, and I knew they were kind of fishing. Uh, to, what are you about? What are you like? Why are you here? And why don't you cut your hair? And why don't you know? Just all those unspoken things. Elizabeth felt that in a different way at, at a different place. It's, life was just a, kind of a difficult, sometimes humiliating experience for her. And although Zechariah, he didn't have that same thing, he didn't have that stigma to deal with, he lived with this deep disappointment of having no child to carry on the family name. And that was huge. That was a big thing for a man. It was a tragedy at that time. And a lot of us think, you know, well, I've got something in my life kind of like that. You know, maybe for you, there's something that, that didn't go right or that just kind of spun off in a, in a different way. 
and it left you with a feeling of shame or a feeling of where you feel disgraced. And you think, well, it's not even my fault or the, the, wait. And, but you never get that chance to explain, right? You never get a chance to process that or work through it. It could have been something you did in the past and the enemy just brings it up and it just haunts you. It could have been something um, like an addiction that you're battling with and maybe people know about it, maybe nobody does, but it's just this quiet issue. Maybe you've been in trouble. Maybe you've been in prison. Maybe you've had to walk through a really hard divorce. Maybe you've been fired from your job. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe there's some way that you were abused and nobody knows about it in this room but you. I mean, any number of things like that can just hang around our neck. You feel abandoned. You feel alone. Or maybe you're like Zachariah. You've just been ambushed by some tragedy you didn't see coming. You never expected that it would happen to you, but it did. Because life does that to us. And holidays are particularly hard because of this thing. You lost someone or an event just changed the trajectory of your life. You think, man, I just don't like Thanksgiving when it comes. I don't like Christmas when it comes because it reminds me of this. And I wonder if that's a little bit where Zachariah lived. Because those things happen even to good people. We're not immune from that. We kind of wish sometimes, like, God, I'm walking with you, and I know you, and I'm doing the right thing, and why would you let that happen to me? We feel like that. Well, here's this beautiful thing, because God chose to bless Elizabeth and Zechariah in, in his perfect timing. Now, at least for Zechariah, there was his work. You know, he, had, he could get up every day, I'm going to go do my farming, I'm going to go be a priest, I've got something to kind of focus on, to distract me from the realities of life that I don't like so much, and, but I, I can do this. In fact, Luke tells us in verse 8 to 10, uh, a little bit what his life was like. He said, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, remember how I told you it was broken down, it was kind of an organized thing. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Uh, Zechariah is doing his priestly service in Jerusalem, which was a rare thing. He's chosen by lot to do this. It was like it came up once every six months, and it was just for a week, and there's 18,000 priests. So for you to get to do this was really, really kind of cool. They would burn incense in the morning before the offering and after it, and then in the evening after that, and then after the offerings were done and the incense was burned, he would step out of this holy place, and he would pronounce this ironic blessing. Uh, from, tracing all the way back to the day of Aaron and, and he would pronounce this blessing and the people would go it was just so great to get to do this it would be like if Louis Giglio called me and said hey one of our speakers bailed this year on passion could you come yeah I guess let me look at my calendar yeah I guess I can do that and could you come speak? You know, if Catalyst next year, the conference, they say, hey, Dan, we need you. Or Billy Graham say, you know, I'm too old. Dan, I'd just like to hand this off to you. Can you do a crusade? Yeah, you mean like the Dan Riley crusade? Yeah, 
I can do that. That's sort of what it would have been like. Zechariah got picked. And he gets to be the priest on this day. So this is his moment. He goes into the temple, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, and while he's inside the temple, the people are outside. They're praying. They're offering up prayers. Time kind of goes on. Afternoon kind of gets long. They're waiting for him to come out. Is that him? I don't know. Is anybody? Seems like it's taking a long time. I don't, he'll be here. I don't know. I don't know. And kids are getting restless. They're starting to squiggle around. And he's supposed to just cast the incense on the altar and come out. And he, and he, and he lays down in front of this and, and then leaves. And that's supposed to be it. But on this day, Zechariah doesn't come out. And people are kind of starting to wonder. They're looking in. They're trying to peek through the curtain. And maybe he had a heart attack in there. I don't know. Maybe he got lost. He could have fallen asleep. But, you know, I, what happened? Zach. No, you just want to call out, hey, it's time. We're hungry. We, we got to go home. And so they're waiting, and they're, they're waiting, and they're waiting. Look at verse 11 to 14, what happens next. Uh, it, it says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I love the detail that Luke includes. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his uh, birth. Now, our tendency is just to kind of read right through that because we're used to reading the Bible, right? Or we, some of us kind of are, or you should be. Uh, and so we, we're used to angels popping up in stories and kind of crazy things happening. So we just read right through this like, oh, it's like an old friend. But the Bible says that this scared him to death. In fact, just about every time I can find in Scripture where an angel shows up and talks to somebody, they are terrified. They're just freaked out. They just think, ah. It's, it's never like in the movies where it's this kind of effeminate, you know, white, glowy with wings and real soft, usually blonde, you know, and they're just kind of like, hey, I'm like an angel. And I'm, that's not what's going on here. That wouldn't have scared Zechariah. This, it's always ter- terrifying. It's just intimidating, and the people are scared to death. Nevertheless, this angel says, I, I've got good news. I've got good news. Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son. You're going to have a baby. And I, and I just can't imagine what he was thinking at this time. He said, I want you to call him John. Um, he's going to bring joy to you. He's going to bring joy to others as well. Uh, just, just trust me on this. And I'm struck by how the angel puts this. He says, your petition has been heard. My petition? Did you read anything so far about a petition? We don't know a lot about Zach, but there's no mention. I mean, like if I were going to say here, your petition has been heard, then I would have mentioned back here, Zach made a petition. And now the petition, that's how you tell stories, right? He just kind of brings this up. Your petition has been heard. He must have been talking about Zachariah's prayer for a son. I mean, don't you think that after all these years, there's so many times he must have prayed, oh, and Lord, I'd really like to have a son. And I'm just going to pray you'd give us a son. Would you just give us a son? Elizabeth's embarrassed to death. She can't go to the market. She can't go down to the well. She doesn't come to church much because she's just so humiliated by this. And the other women talk about her. Please give us a son. And maybe he prayed that when they were in their 20s. And in their 30s. And 40s. 
and maybe even into their 50s, but now they're in their 60s. I've got a feeling that Zach had maybe said, you know what, I'm going to stop. Never mind on that. Most, all my friends are having grandchildren, and some even great-grandchildren. By this time, he just stopped praying for that a long time ago. Zechariah had forgotten about that prayer. But God had not forgotten. God never forgets your prayers. And because we pray for a while and we don't get the answer we hoped for or expected, and we think, well, that didn't work that time. I mean, don't you get that feeling? Like prayer is like spinning this big, oh, man, I hope this one comes true. I hope it happens this time. And nah, it didn't work. I'll pray for something. I'll change my prayer and go. I'll move on to something else. Listen, God never forgets your prayers. God never forgets your prayers. He's either going to say yes. He's going to say no. He's going to say yes, but not exactly what you think it's going to look like. Or he's going to say yes, but I can't do it right now. You've got to trust me. We're going to have to do this later. And I think this was the answer that Zechariah is getting. My answer is always yes, but I couldn't do it when you wanted me to. I wanted to wait till you were 60. Ah, he probably thought, Lord, I had a lot more energy when I was 30 to deal with children. Uh, that maybe be, you know, would have been a better time. Or it could be that, that Zechariah had another prayer in mind. The angel was referring to something else because as a righteous man, especially as a priest, Zechariah would have been praying all the time for Messiah to come. That was a huge focus. And he just thought about it. Every day he would look and say, maybe the Messiah is going to come. Things are so out of control. The world's gotten so bad. Lord, would you just send Messiah? Would you? He would have thought about that a lot. Look in verse 15. Uh, in, in Scripture, we'll drop down to there. It says, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine. That was kind of a Nazarite vow uh, that he would have been part. Some people think John was part of the Essenes, which was a sect who had some different codes that they lived by, or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his uh, mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people, check it out, prepared. See how this theme just stays here? He's, God's preparing. He's setting the stage. That's what this is all about. So he has this prayer in mind that you're going to have a son and Messiah is coming. Can you, have you ever had those, just that wildest dream that you could never imagine really coming true that came true? Have you ever had just an answer to prayer that was just so out of the box, just so crazy? You thought, I can't believe it. This is really happening. It's really happening to me. That's the way Zechariah felt. That's the way he felt at this moment. Look at, Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, what do you say, right? What are you, what are you going to say back to this angel? How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, he says, I, I don't quite think, this is really big. This is really, in essence, Zechariah is saying, you know what? I've been praying for this for a long time. 
And because my wife and I are pretty old, I- I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need something to go. You've got to give me something that I'll kind of know this is true. Now, if an angel is already scary, which this one, he's already a little scared of this. Imagine what an angry angel must be like. The text says, the angel answered him and said to him, I'm Gabriel. And I think he said it like Clint Eastwood. I don't think he said, I'm Gabriel. I think he said it like, I'm Gabriel. Do you know who I am? I mean, this was this moment like, hey, Zach, you just need to shut up and listen. You know, it was this powerful thing. He said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Are you paying attention? Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe. You didn't listen to my words. You weren't taking me seriously. So everything's going to be fulfilled in its proper time. Gabriel is a famous angel. Uh, He would have been well known to Zechariah. This was very familiar to him. So not only do you have this angel, he's an angry angel, and he's a celebrity angry angel. You know, he's, he's famous. He's like, do you get it? I'm Gabriel. Maybe you've heard of me. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I hang out with? Do you know who my boss is? I answer to one. <laughs> it's this moment. So he says, what kind of sign do you want? Oh, I've got an idea. And so Gabriel pulls out this big old heavenly remote control. And he goes, let me just hit the mute button. There's your sign. How you like that? You know, he just, everything goes quiet. You're going to be unable to speak until the promise is made good. So here's Zechariah, his one big day. I'm going to the temple and I'm going to do the offerings. You know, he's all, you know, he's just like, does this look good? Liz, you think this, does this, does this robe make me look, you know, and he's, he's ready. He gets there. It's his big day and he walks out and the people go, Zach, finally you're here. And he goes, He can't say anything. You know, he had probably prepared. You know how those moments that you think through what you're going to say? So you have a little bit of preparation. You're going to the rehearsal dinner, or you're going to this event, or this, or somebody's going to call on you to pray, and you know it's coming, so you kind of work through your mind. I want to say it like this. I know that would be be goofy. Zachariah probably had something on index cards, or index parchment, that he, he was ready to... And he can't say a word. There's nothing to say. He's been muted. And now, the people are outside wondering, what's going on? So when he finally comes out, he's unable to speak, and he starts signing, I guess. He starts, and can you imagine trying to describe this? I mean, like if you were just, I need a drink of water. You just go, and people go, okay, I get it. I think he's, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Try to describe, I just saw an angel inside and he told me I'm going to have a son and that Messiah is coming. I mean, he's, just, he's trying to, and people are going, yeah, look, we gotta, it's, we're going to go. They, this is such an unusual moment. So you can imagine how this is, you know, what's happened to him and he's trying to, the only way he can communicate is by signing this. So finally, when he's all done with his priestly duties, he just goes home. Let's pick up the story in verse 23. It says in verse 23, let's see if I can find this. And when his time of service had, was ended, he went to his home. 
After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she hid herself. Uh, She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. The word reproach is the same word for disgrace. It's the same word for shame. He's taken that away. He's lifted that uh, from me now. And you can imagine when Zechariah got home, he goes, hey, how'd it go at the temple? Things good? And, he, and he's trying to assign to her again. Uh, he's back in the hill country of Judea and Elizabeth there. But he's thinking, we're going to have a son. And as he's walking home, I'll try to be just real discreet about this, but he's starting to have thoughts he hadn't had in a while. You know, he's thinking, we're going to have a son. Hey, Liz, daddy's home. You know, so Zachariah's home, and he starts flirting with her by sign language, which every woman loves. You think, what? What? Go wash your hands. We're going to eat. And he's trying to, just with sign language, try that. And she's thinking, oh, wait. I think I'm starting to get, are you kidding? <laughs> no, Zach. Uh, and so he starts with the sign language again. And you can just imagine him trying to communicate his intentions like that. And the Bible just says it like this. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. Just a little discretion. And then she stayed in seclusion for five months. We don't know why she did this. Luke doesn't say. She was either maybe just embarrassed I mean, she's like, you know, I'm 62 and I'm about to have a baby. And this is kind of crazy. And I know what people are going to say. They're going to go, what? You know, and I just, I'm just going to stay in. Or maybe it was, and I kind of think this is that this is the moment she's been waiting for all her life. And it's a, it's a very late in life pregnancy. So maybe she stayed in for five months just being careful. You know, she's like, I want to be careful. I'm going to protect this baby. I don't want to lose the baby. So uh, Luke doesn't tell us what's going on here. But he does tell us this, this great, great thing is that she spent that time thanking and praising God. During this time, she's just thinking about the Lord. And she's got these extended quiet times. She's got all this extra time. So how God has worked in her life to bless her and to take away this shame that she felt. I want you to think uh, about this with me. First, here's Zechariah. He's a righteous guy. Um, He's old. He's a priest. I mean, he really knows the Lord. He's served the Lord. Uh, If there's ever been like a real saint, like a really good guy, then it's this guy. But he still had some growing to do. I mean, God sends his angel Gabriel to Zechariah. And then God makes this marvelous, this unbelievable promise to him. But what does he do? What is his response? Right, first thing, he doubts God. Really? He underestimates God. Zach, seriously? The angel just says it. Just, he just flat out says, you didn't believe my words. You didn't believe me? You, Zechariah, of all people. I would think you would get this just like that. But he doesn't. Hey, folks, you know, we don't always think of unbelief as a sin. We always think of the proactive things you can do and get in trouble with. We think, oh, that's sin. But just the fact that I don't believe God about this, 
That is just as much a sin as open rebellion. Just not believing God. You can look at the Gospels. I mean, when people underestimate God. The thing that frustrated Jesus more than anything else, what bugged him the most was always a lack of faith in his people. His people not believing. Go back, check that out. Go back and read through. 